What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another Drinks and Deep Dive episode. I believe we are going on number four right now. So I'm feeling good about it so far. Definitely working on some kinks. Got to get better at scheduling guests uh, in advance as well. Today is solo with me, but we're going to be talking about uh, a couple topics today. The first one is a really interesting chart that compares income growth to rent growth for Denver plus uh, 50 other MSAs as well. The main topic of the show is going to be around helping you to grow your portfolio. Does it still make sense in today's market to sell and then trade up into a bigger or better rental property? So I've got a couple examples I'll go through there. I'll go through the questions that I ask myself and my clients. And I got a few examples here of a paid off house to go through, an owner occupied duplex, an investment townhouse, plus an out-of-state house that's very equity heavy. So lots of good examples that should give you some ideas, and I'll talk through each one uh, with their unique pros and cons as well. And we'll end with how to navigate a 1031 exchange during this crazy market time we're in. Because for a lot of these properties we're talking about, and for people with existing portfolios, you're often doing a 1031 exchange to go out there and defer your taxes. So navigating the the 1030 navigating the market with 1031s is very important. So let's start off with the comparison of income versus rents. So I'm going to share my screen, and this will be on the video and also on the blog post as well. So this is a really interesting graph that came out that just plots income versus rent. So if you come up here and look at the, on the Y axis, that's the, the Y, the vertical axis, that's the average annual increase in median rent. The X axis, X axis is the average increase in household income. So this plots 50 metro areas around the country onto here. Now it's interesting, I know it's really hard to see Denver is about in the middle of the graph, if you're able to see my mouse cursor here. Denver's medium income and in rent over the last 20 years has been about 2.5%, while their increase in income has been about 0.7%. So that's Denver. Now, overall, things have been uh, not quite that skewed as Denver has, but a lot of markets have seen, have seen similar trajectories. But here's the punchline with all this. If you can't see the graph and you're losing track of all the numbers here, is that rents are highly correlated to inflation. So in times of high inflation, rents go up a lot more. And again, this goes back to what we talked the last few weeks. Historically, real estate has been a great hedge against inflation. So this also kind of goes into the topic here of, is this still a good time to potentially trade up uh, a property or a couple properties in your portfolio and trade up into bigger properties? So this is another great data point to keep in mind where it's not property specific, but it's more just like macroeconomic uh, trend where we have seen rents go up a lot. We've seen incomes go up in certain segments as well. But we're also starting to see some inflation tick up as well, along with all the real estate prices. So keep this in mind as we talk about uh, the next few examples of properties and equity in there. And just keep this in mind in general for, oh my gosh, rents have gone up so much. What should I do about it? Well, historically speaking, as incomes go up, rents will go up as well. So moving on to the next topic here, I want to talk a lot about, is this a good time or does it still make sense to look at your portfolio and then make a move or two and then go out there and 
sell and potentially do a trade up transaction. So I get this question a lot, especially the last few months of people saying, wow, with these prices, like I'm already seeing a lot of equity with this house or this townhouse or duplex I have, but with the last six months of these, you know, crazy price increases, I'm seeing a lot more equity. Should I sell and should I trade up? That's a very common question I get. So I decided to take uh, some of my key talking points and actually take some examples of properties I've walked through with people and just kind of go through a high level rundown as to when it makes sense. Because for a punchline, it generally does make sense. So the very first thing you have to keep in mind before you even look at the properties is ask yourself, what is your goal or what are your goals in terms of finances and cash flow, retirement? Just what is your general goal? Because without what your personal goals are and your overall portfolio goals are, it's very hard to make a correct decision on the property because a spreadsheet will tell you, hey, here's what to do. But the spreadsheet has to be taken into context with the market conditions and also, most importantly, what your goals are. Now, if your goals are to go out there and you still need to get more future cash flow and increase your net worth, then yes, it probably makes sense to go out there and sell and trade up. Or if you're at a point where your portfolio is where you're where you want it to be, it might make sense to start paying off properties, maybe get rid of a property that's like the dog in your portfolio that's just a giant pain in the butt or you know it's not a great location and it's a good time to sell in a market condition like that. So number one is identify what your goals are. And my two recommendations on here is be realistic with yourself because lying to yourself is pointless. So be as realistic as you can with looking at not only your real estate goals, but also your overall financial goals between your job and your business and your other you know investment assets as well and see how they add up and then look at your timeline. The second thing is, is make sure you talk with the appropriate people. Now for stocks and bonds, talk with your financial advisor, talk with your insurance agent for annuities if you're into that, and then talk with us here for the real estate side of things. So I would recommend talking with various professionals once you've identified your goals and get their expert opinion on there. And of course, always take with a grain of salt, but definitely get their input and their intake as they can help you figure out what your goals are. The second thing, and this is something a lot of people overlook is, what are the tax consequences on the property or properties you're looking to make moves on? And the two main things are, is if this was a previous house that you lived in, there is a certain line of tax code. I forget the exact code, but if you've lived in the property two out of the last five years, you can exclude up to 250000 or $500,000 if you're single or married from capital gains. Well, that's a huge, I mean, that's one of the best tax benefits out there so definitely, if you fall in that time frame, keep that in mind, because that may change the time you sell, if you can fall within that window, and you don't have to do a 1031, or you can take some money off the table and take the money and do other things with it as well. The other thing is, is if it's a pure rental property, or it was a property you lived in, but you're past that two out of five year mark, you should really look at doing a 1031 exchange. And a 1031 exchange is what allows you to defer your taxes. I sell my property today. If I follow the 1031 rules, I can defer those taxes until later on in life or until I die. Now, we are coming out with a new 1031 series in the near future on understanding 1031s. So we'll have more details uh, later or always email me. We got some great podcasts in the past talking about the details of 1031s. So those are the two main things to understand before you look at your property. What are your goals? And then understand the tax consequences. And 
As a side note for tax consequences, always talk to your CPA or your accountant because he or she will be able to run reports as to, oh yeah, you actually can exclude capital gains on here or no, this one you may want to do 1031. And if you are doing 1031, make sure you understand what the potential tax liability is because you always want to know what the worst case downside is while you're also looking at properties as well. Because if you can't find the right property you want, well, maybe you'll say, you know what? I was targeting this. I can't get this. So maybe I'll just pay the capital gains or, oh my gosh, my capital gains are so big. You know, I was targeting a 5.5 cap. I don't care if it's a 5.1 cap because that little difference is going to save me $50,000 in taxes. I don't care. But always know what the downside is. So always talk to your account. Always talk to your CPA. So those are two very important things to understand. So I'm going to jump into a couple spreadsheets now. I've got some out. And what I'm going to do with these, I'm going to actually go through the property itself and go through a couple key points as well that's helping that property owner navigate their decision. So the first one I want to talk about is going to be an owner-occupied duplex. And these are really in no particular order. So I'm going to go back to sharing my screen here. So this is a duplex that a client bought, I want to say, I think three to five years ago in Denver. And it's in Congress Park area or something like that. So it's a great part of town. Bought it uh, for about $520,000. It's valued today at $784,000. Loan balance at three forty-five, dollars And the annual rents are about $40,000 a year. $1,800 a month, $15, $20 a month uh, for the other unit. So very strong rents. And I won't go through all the operating data on here, but bought for $520,000. Now it's worth $784,000. So we're up to you know $350,000 or so in equity growth. And so what the spreadsheet does, this is the ROE spreadsheet that we use that goes through and helps you analyze properties if you should keep it, refinance, or sell it. So for the sell it, I'm assuming a 6% sales cost and that we can buy a replacement property at a 4.75% cap rate. So I'll talk more about that in this next tab here with the summary. And don't get too worried of the numbers. I'm trying to do a better job of balancing numbers with the broad takeaways, because I know this is a lot of numbers to digest on here. So I'm just gonna scroll to the bottom of the spreadsheet where it shows the complete returns of keeping it um, versus buying the new property. Now, in this case, the spreadsheet says if you sell the property and unlock all the equity, you're going to get the best return that way. And by that, if you sell it and you take the proceeds of $390,000, you can go out there and start creating about $7,500 a year in cash flow, about $87,000 in total returns. So I'm going to back up on here a little bit and go through two key points as to why this makes sense. One is you have to look at what the current return on equity of your property is. Now, when we look at buying properties, we look at that re initial return on investment. So I'm gonna spend $100,000 on a down payment closing cost. What type of returns do I get? Now, if I'm buying that property today, that's a great metric because that $100,000 leaves my bank account. Now, if I use $100,000 to buy this duplex five years ago, that return metric from five years ago is now outdated and not a great one to use. And that's why we start shifting to return on equity. So make sure you're using the right metrics to start measuring the performance of your properties. In this case, 
the current return on equity in this duplex is 9.9%. Now I'm gonna pause that right here. So let's just say 10% for easy math right now. He's currently making about 10% on the money that is in the property, that's the equity, that is trapped in the property in your equity real estate piggy bank. So making 10% return on there. Are you, and I'm asking you the listener while you're starting to set your goals, what's the benchmark on what type of return you want to be making from your real estate investments? Because 10%, I can play, I can go many different angles with here. 10%, hey, it's good return, it's double digits. However, it's not that much higher than your typical, you know, average stock market return. So from a pure percent return wise, you know, if I'm making 10% of my money and that's all I can make, I might invest that in the stock market instead of real estate because stock market is hands off. I check my brokerage account about twice a year and that's it. It's completely set in and forget it for me. And with real estate or with stock markets, I don't have tenants calling me the property manager. I don't have dishwashers breaking and plumbing issues. I don't have water leaks in the ceiling. I don't have tenants turning over, not paying rents during bad times. So there's more headache to deal with in real estate. Plus there is liability with there as well. So in my mind, if I'm going to be making, you know, taking on those associated risk, I want a higher return than what I can get in the stock market because real estate, it is riskier. And let's be real, whether you have a property manager or not, it's just more time intensive and more of a pain in the butt in a lot of the cases. So understand that metric and really ask yourself, what type of return do you want to make from your investments? Now, looking at this, as we do return equity, we're saying about 10% on the current property as is. Now, if we come down and sell this property and do a 1031 exchange, the client should be making about a 22% return. And that's often what we see for traditional, you know, 20, 25% down payments is returns anywhere from like the high teens to mid 20% using our standard underwriting, staying pretty conservative. So, you know, two to three times higher than this current return equity. So 22% is quite a bit higher than 10%. So understand, hey, I can go out there and shift this money from 10%, now I'm making a low 20%. So on paper, the spreadsheet will always tell you to do that. Now in reality though, it may not be the best case for you because there is returns and then there's actual cash flow. Now, while this 22% in return I'm getting on this new property, or I should say the client this new property is, it's not going to be all cash flow. You are getting a returns on appreciation, debt pay down, and tax benefits. And generally speaking, all three of those will be greater since we're buying a more expensive property and have a higher loan balance and more to write off for depreciation. But overall, you're getting a higher return on your money. So make sure you understand the difference between returns and actual cash flow. Because for example, if this client keeps the property, he'll be making about $5,600 a year in annual cash flow as is. Now, if you trade up, he'll be making about $7,600 a year in cash flow. So $2,000 or more doesn't sound that dramatically different. But when you look from a 10 to 22% return, that is a difference. The total returns on keeping the duplex is about $43,000, where if you sell it and buy a new property, your total returns are almost double at about $88,000. So that's where you're getting a much higher percent return. So keep that in mind for returns versus cash flow as well. That's another metric you have to keep in mind.
So hopefully you're keeping track with me. I want to come back and just touch on some key points here is one is measure, find a metric that works for you on your current properties. I'm a big fan of return on equity. So make sure you define your goals and come up with some type of benchmark for returns that you want to achieve. If I have a sub 10% return on equity on property, I'm not very happy in the current phase of my career. And I'm still in the accumulation phase of my real estate portfolio. I still need to buy more properties before I have enough cash flow to be able to start living off the cash flow and retire early. So for me, I'm looking to maximize my return, which could be a cash out refi or selling and trading up. Now, fast forward to 10 or 15 years from now, I might be in a position where I have enough and it might make more sense to actually start paying off the properties to maximize cash flow versus maximizing overall return. This is very similar to taking like a stock portfolio or your, your you know stock your equity portfolio where you have a high stock allocation and now you're moving more towards like a higher bond allocation as you get older and you're gonna start becoming more conservative. So I draw that in my mind as a similar parallel as well. Okay, so the last thing I'll mention about this property right here, and this goes back to one of the first points I talked about, which is understanding your tax consequences. Now, um, I can't remember the exact details on this property, but this uh, either this property or one, actually I think it's one very similar to it, the person is listing their duplex. That's actually very similar numbers on here. They bought it uh, about 18 months ago and they haven't lived in it for very long. So they haven't lived in that for the two out of the five years. So they can't get that capital gains exclusion rule. However, though, since they have lived in it, they are limited in their ability to do a 1031 exchange because 1031 exchanges are for like-kind properties. That's for investment properties where you're selling and buying other investment properties. Now, with a duplex, it can get more nuanced. You can say, hey, I live in you know, unit A, so I will pay capital gains on here, but making 1031 unit B since that was a rental. So unfortunately, the client with that scenario, uh, we should have talked like two months before he listed the property. Uh, because that's stuff we always talk about our clients to and say, go through this checklist, make sure you understand all the stuff so you don't go out there and do a bad move. So in the big picture is right, because he wanted to sell and trade up. However, he did not go through all the steps to understand that I need to hold on to this another you know six months or whatever it was to go out there and meet that two out of five year rule. Now, in that case, I would advise a client, you know what, wait six months. The market should still be very, very strong in six months. They'll probably sell for a few bucks higher. But now you can defer your capital gains. So again, goes back to one of the first points I talked about is knowing your tax consequences. Make sure you do. So pivoting to another property or another spreadsheet and property, this one, this is a great example. So this kind of going to a different end of the spectrum. This is for a client uh, he bought this house um, actually at a horrible time, basically top of the market back in like 2007 out in California, bought for $775,000. And he said it was the worst time I could have bought the property, you know, overpaid for it at the time because the price is just, you know, a year later is worth like 600, just a huge drop in equity on there, a huge drop in price. But he moved out to Colorado a couple of years ago, turned the house into a rental. So from this perspective, it still falls under that two out of the five years rule so we can exclude a big part of the capital gains. So Boffer is 775 and it's valued at right now between 1.3 and $1.4 million with a loan balance about $400,000 on there. 
So lots of equity in there. Total rents on this place, it rents for about $4,800 a month. So rental income on a $1.4 million house of $4,800 a month in, ca- in rental income is not a great rental property. You would not buy that today, or I wouldn't recommend you buy that today from an investment standpoint. But he got a huge return on the equity, and that's why he's looking to actually sell this place and then bring the money out here to Colorado. So two other things to keep in mind as you're looking to sell and trade up, and these are two very important pieces of information to keep in mind as well, is what's the current performance of the property, and are you buying a better performing property? So the current performer on here, on this house, is a 2.5% cap rate. 2.5%. You first do lots of deal analyses. I don't know if you've ever done a deal analysis on a 2.5% cap rate property. You would not buy that property for a straight long-term rental off of there. And that low cap rate is often an indication of why it makes sense to sell and not do a 1031 exchange. Once things drop about a 4% cap rate, it gets a borderline where it makes sense to start looking at doing a, a sell and 1031 or just sell and trade up that way. So low cap rate on the current property and is the property you're buying, is it a higher cap rate? Is it a better performing rental property? That's key point number one. Key point number two for maximizing returns of doing a sell and trade up is going to be re-leveraging up. Because right now, you know, he's got $400,000 on a $1.4 million house. That's like a 30-some percent uh, loan-to-value ratio. So a very low LTV. So you want to go out there and buy a better-performing rental and also go out there and re-leverage up. Two key points to keep in mind out there is doing it that way. So coming out here, if you were to do a max cash-out refi on here, it's going to be a native cash flowing property. So not a great scenario. But if he sells it, it's going to unlock like $800,000 in equity. Now, if this client's married, he can scoop up to $500,000 in capital gains. He has to talk to his account for the other money above that as well. So always make sure you understand the tax consequences because that can have a huge decision factor in what you do with your property. But in this case... He wants to come out here and buy a couple single-family homes. He's going to take some of the money, pay off some debt, put some in the stock market, and use some of the proceeds to go out there and buy a better rental. So in this assumption, he's a big fan of buying just like, you know, single-family homes in very nice neighborhoods, you know, like Class A, Class B-plus type areas and properties. As everyone knows, detached single-family homes are some of the poor rental properties right now from a cash flow perspective but they're high demand and are seeing huge appreciation, but they're not great from a cash flow perspective. So I put in here at a 4% cap rate, which is a pretty conservative number for a single family home right now, and assuming a 50% down payment. So I'm telling you those two key figures, because that will impact his total returns. Does a 1031, buys these properties, be making about $20,000 a year in cash flow by selling it? about $100,000 a year in cumulative returns with the new properties. Now, this is where you need to run some scenarios and testing on here as well. If he's going out there and buying, you know, better rentals, let's say like 4.75% cap rate and maximizing leverage at 25% down payment. Well, now those returns, well, if the spreadsheet would update a little bit more, well, 
it's lagging on the update right there. But you can actually see the returns and cumulus side are going up quite a bit to about $200,000 in total returns. And cash flow update here in a minute as well. It will, cash flow will go up, uh, should go up as well. Actually, you know what? Let me refresh this real fast. Hold on. We'll stand by. That is correct because it's about the same cash flow. We're having a better cap rate, but we're doing a lower down payment. So we'll see less cash flow that way. So I'm going to correct myself for a minute ago. Spreadsheet's accurate. I apparently need to have another drink while I do this to help uh, discuss that a little bit better. But you can see here that changes the returns. Cash flow is about the same, but the total returns almost double from 100,000 to 200,000. So again, going back to a 4% cap rate, 50% down payment, cash flow stays about the same, returns about $100,000. So keep this in mind as you're going out there and looking at your potential replacement properties. What your risk tolerance is, whether you're going out there and buying um, you know, a couple single family homes in, in great parts of town, or going out there and buying a value-add multifamily, there's not right or wrong. It really depends what your preference is and what your investing style is as well. So again, that goes back to what are your goals? The better you can identify yourself, the better you can go out there and optimize your portfolio and do the right moves to make it. So moving on to, let's see, moving on to another property here. This is a pretty classic one. This is a townhouse out here in Denver. So I believe this, uh, this client, they lived in it for a while, moved out, converted to a rental, and they weren't planning on real estate investing back then, but that's, they bought the townhouse, now they had for a few years, and they're looking to sell it and then uh, trade up into better rental properties. So bought for $212,000, it's, Valued at about 320, probably a bit higher right now in that price band, but 320 is a conservative number, about a 151 loan balance. So basically, it puts it at a current cap rate of 3.7%. So just below that 4% threshold I talked about a few minutes ago for it doesn't make sense to sell and trade up. And in this case, it probably does. And it's a 10% or a 10.3% return equity. Again, not a great return equity in this case, but it makes the most sense to do like to sell and trade up to maximize the return, maximize the cash flow, maximize the return. Now, for this case, I've got this typical assumptions of a 4.75% cap rate, which is realistic slash conservative right now, uh, with a 25% down payment. So cash flow would increase from about 2,000 bucks a year to about $3,300 a year on the new property but the total returns were about double from 17,000 to about 34,000. So again, cash flow goes up some, but total return goes up a lot more, again, to that low 20% down, 20% uh, perspective on there. So one of the to keep in mind with this property is it is currently tenant occupied and the tenant's not out until the Q3 or Q4 this year. So this is another thing you have to keep in mind as you're selling properties. If you're selling a property like this, a townhouse, or a property in California, like we talked about in the previous example, you generally do not want to sell with a tenant in place. Because if you have a tenant in place, you're generally only selling to other investors. An owner occupant buying the property, they have to move into the property within 60 days of closing. Otherwise, they can't get a loan on the property. So if they list the property today, and let's say it sells on July 1, but the tenant's not moving out until November 1, no, no owner occupants can go in there and view the property. 
or go in there and buy the property. So it limits it to investors and you will not get top dollar for the property. Generally speaking, you get top dollar by selling to an owner-occupant uh, owner buyer. So you want to go out there, get the tenant out of the property. And in some cases, we've had clients go out there and they've talked with their tenant um, and they've actually paid them to move out and made a good situation that the client wanted them out, the tenant wanted to move out sooner rather than as well. And the client was able to sell the property sooner. But other times, it just makes sense to let the, let the tenant stay there for a few months and then sell the property. The other thing to keep in mind, not just top price, is with tenants in there, it's harder to show, and you got all the tenant stuff in there. Now, a lot of times what we do for like rental properties or any types of properties is we can go on there and look at the property. Now, oftentimes we can go on there and spend a few dollars, go in there and spend $5,000 or $10,000 do a cosmetic facelift and go out there and get a much higher return on the property. Go out there and spend $10,000, we can sell it for $40,000 more. Yeah, do it all day long. I'll give you $10,000, get $40,000 back. I'll do it every single day of the week. And that's when we have to look at the property as well. Very hard to do with the tenant in place. And that's something else we help our clients do as well that you want to consider as you're looking at doing a trade-up potentially as well. So the last example is going to be a completely paid off property here in the Denver Metro. So original purchase price was about $80,000 on this property. And I think the client bought it on a whenever you could buy houses for $80,000. I think it was like 20 years ago or so. Today, it's valued between $600,000 and $650,000. And what prompted the call with this client was, you know, she was thinking, oh, cool houses should sell in that four to 450 range. And then a house down the street on like, which is not nicest shape and a smaller house as well, sold for just over 650. So one of those like, wow, this market is crazy. I can get some top dollar. Well, selling for potentially $200,000 more than what she was estimating, it changes the game there. It changes the perspective. So we were chatting about this last week. So plugged in the value about $650,000, assuming that we can get that higher end price in there. But rents are only about $23,000 a year. So the rent to price ratio is not that great. But since it's paid off, there's zero interest and zero loan balance. So going to the summary tab here, actually, before we go to the summary tab, let's look at the current cap rate in the property. At a $650,000 valuation today, the cap rate's 2.3%. And it's really important to evaluate the property to, at today's cap rate, not your purchase cap rate. And so today's cap rate is today's value with today's rents and today's expensive. I don't really care how much you bought the property for 10 or 20 years ago. We care about what it is today from that valuation. So from that perspective, it's a very low performing cap rate at 2.3%. Now, right now I can go on the MLS, throw a dart and buy a property better than 2.3%, which goes to the next point we talked about is you have to buy a better rental property. Now, of course, you'd rather buy like a 5% cap rate versus a 2.8% cap rate on here. But the bigger the spread between your property you're getting rid of and your new properties, the better it is. So the summary on here points out to the fact that selling the property is going to unlock the most equity from the property. Now, in this case, it's interesting. Look at what happens if we do a maximum cash out refi on this property and I can pull out about 75% equity from the property, a 75% LTV on a investment refi. Pull out like $480,000. 
However, now this property is being cash flowing a negative $1,000 a month. Not a great situation right there. Now, if you sell it, you'll have about $611,000 in proceeds, approximately. So going down that $600,000 in proceeds, assuming a 25% down payment, that puts you in that $2.5 million range. You can buy a lot of single family rentals or you can go out there and buy some apartment buildings, either in-state or out-of-state, like 2.5 million in purchasing power. That can change your retirement. That can change like the future of a lot of things. And this goes back to re-leveraging up. Now, if you want to really maximize returns, take the proceeds and go out there and re-leverage up to go out there and buy a, a better performing rental at higher leverage. So the current cap rate is 2.3%. The current return equity is 5.4%. Buying a new property, you should be in the low 20% on that initial return on investment you go out there and buy the property. So in this case, the clients will go out there and probably buy a new property. Now here's where it gets interesting. It actually shows you might make a little bit more cash flow by keeping this property because there's zero debt on there. So maybe make a higher cash flow but your total returns a lot less. So it says your cash flow is about $15,000 a year currently on this property with a total return of about $35,000. If you sell it and buy a new place, brand new cash flow is about 12,000 bucks a year and your total returns about $136,000 a year. So again, this goes back to what I mentioned earlier. What's the return metric, your percent return versus actual cash flow? Now, sometimes you'll see them diverge like this. You'll see cash flow better in one category, but a higher return in the other. Again, one is not better than the other. It really depends on what your preference is, what your goals are, what do you wanna achieve? And of course, where you are in your investing career. All right, so I'm gonna stop going through spreadsheets right now. Hopefully, it you guys got some main points on there to understand it. I will recap the main talking points to help hopefully pull you up all those numbers on there. Number one is identifying what are your goals. Be realistic and talk to the appropriate people, your financial advisor, your CPA, me and my team here for real estate investments. We will look at it and give you our frank opinion. We can run it through spreadsheets as well. Really understand the tax consequences. Can you exclude your capital gains of that two out of five year rule? Or are you looking to do a 1031 exchange? Talk to your 1031 qualified intermediary and also talk to your CPA. Understand the difference between returns and cash flow. And then also understand if you want to go out there and do this type of transaction, you generally, you generally have to go out there and buy a better performing rental, so a higher cap rate, and you want to employ leverage. Leverage is going to be a big difference maker in helping you get greater returns. So moving on to it, let's say, hey, this is very helpful. I like it. Now, how do I go out there and actually do this? So I've had this conversation a lot since about February. And it's because the market has been bonkers. Prices are going up, appreciation's going up, multiple offers are going on most properties. So it's a double-edged sword here. It's great because you can go out there and sell your property for top dollar. But at the same time, once you move from selling your property, now you're in the buying pool as well. And now you're going to be in the same, same situation where it's harder to go out there and potentially buy replacement properties. And so I'm really talking this in with a 1031 exchange in mind. Because with 1031s, you have deadlines. Once your property closes that you're selling, you have 45 days to identify your replacement properties. 
And in reality, that means you have 45 days not to identify it, but really actually be in her contract and pass inspection. Because if you go to her contract on property day 41, and then two weeks later at day 55, you do the inspection, inspection report comes back horrible, seller's not willing to negotiate with you, you're kind of out of luck. You can't say, oh, well, I don't like this property. I'm going to cancel and go out there and identify a new property. Nope. That property's not already identified at that 45-day mark. You're either sticking with it or you're paying taxes on there. So keep that in mind. And, and this is why we have to move with a really good game plan when it comes to doing 1031s. So you can do a traditional 1031 or reverse 1031. I'll talk about both for a minute because both we're doing right now in the market. A traditional 1031 has that 45-day 45, 45 ID window. And while it's tough to do it, we still get them done in the market. But we do that because we do a lot of prep up front. Like before you even ever list your replacement property, we're running all these scenarios we're talking about. We're figuring things out, analyzing properties, and we're doing our best to help you really determine what's your criteria. And that helps you move fast and move with a sense of purpose when it comes to putting offers in. So once the property gets listed, we go into active hunt mode to refine your replacement property. Now, can we always get an offer accepted while your other property is listed? Uh, it makes it harder because sellers, they don't want to deal with a property that's going to be contingent. Now, there are some ways we can get around it, uh, but also when you start looking at the multifamilies, if you're buying a multifamily, they're usually a lot more 1031 friendly versus you buying a single family home, which is usually just, hey, I want to sell the property, be quick closed. You know, it's not, those aren't rental investment transactions. So we always like to line things up and start doing all the work as quickly as possible. That way, once your property is listed, and then it goes under contract, we are in full hunt mode, and we're also able to go out there and reach out to our network, other agents, other investors we know, um, and saying, hey, great, what do you have on the market that meets this criteria? If you're in 1031 exchange, you're top of the list. We go out there and do our best we can to go out there and find replacement properties. But you still run the risk and the stress of meeting those 1031 deadlines. The other case you can do is doing a reverse 1031, which is where you buy your replacement property first, and then you sell the previous property. Now, this comes with two main considerations. One is the higher fee. Reverse 1031s will cost you about $5,000 approximately, where a normal 1031 would be like 800 to 1,000 bucks. So not a huge difference, but we are talking a few thousand dollars. Where a lot of people get pinched on the reverse 1031s is that you have to have capital to go out there and buy the replacement property first. So what we've had clients do and look at is sometimes they can just pull out the equity from like their primary rents. They've got a HELOC on there, a couple hundred thousand dollars. Great, use that. Or they have other cash they can deploy out there and bridge the loan while they buy the new property. Now, if you don't have a HELOC or a bunch of cash sitting around, there are other, there are other options you have. If you have a lot of equity in your current investment property you're selling, you can go out there and put a HELOC on that property and pull out money from that to buy the new property or get a bridge loan from lenders and they can actually finance you on the new property first and say, great, based on your credit, your net worth, the property you're gonna sell, oh yeah, we feel safe making this investment. Now, bridge loans are gonna be a year in term. They're gonna have a 1% or so origination fee, if not higher, and their interest rate will be higher as well. They are meant to be short-term financing. So you have to take into account those costs as well. And usually they're not that big of a cost, but you have to understand, hey, is the hassle that, is that worth me not having to worry about doing a tight 1031 deadline? And only you can answer that. 
Again, there's no right or wrong. We got clients doing both right now, looking at those. So we can help you navigate that. And that's really the whole point of the content here of today's video is giving you the high level points and hopefully going through a few examples so you can go out there and understand what the market is like and what options you have. Now I realized for the last whatever 40 minutes, I have fire hosed information on you. I hope you could take away some great key points on here, but the main one is that if you have equity in a property, this is definitely a time to look at doing a, a cash out refi, doing a HELOC to extract equity or selling and trading up. Because yes, it does make sense. Because you can still buy properties with cap rates higher than we're selling for in the twos and threes. We can go out there and buy stuff in the fours and fives. So you have a better rental property. Interest rates are still very historically low. Um, so you get great interest rates and you're still having a good spread between cap rates and interest rates. From a high level, it makes a lot of sense. However, it's got to line up with what your goals are and make sure you're comfortable with the 1031 timeline as well. And this is a big part of what you know we do here. Uh, this is something that myself and Chelsea spend a lot of time working with people and actually doing a more detailed course, something that uh, myself, Chelsea, and Jenny Bayless down the Springs have talked about. It's on our to-do list. So this is kind of like a very rough draft for me to start getting ideas out there and start getting the ideas communicated out there. But if you have any interest or desire to do this, reach out to us. We are more than happy to run this analysis, give you feedback, say, hey, talk to this account, talk to this 1031 QI, here are some potential replacement properties and help you get a good picture on everything you're doing. Because the better educated you are, the better decision you will make. And we always, that's the whole goal with clients. Hey, let's educate you and help you make a great decision. And if we can add value and, and build that relationship and trust with you, wonderful, that's our goal. That will lead to business at some point, whether it's you referring someone to us or you're doing deals with us, it's good karma. And that's how we build our business. So if you have properties out there or a portfolio, please reach out to us. We will sit down with you. We'll plug into our spreadsheet. We'll walk you through the pros and cons. We'll help make sure you're not missing in your blind spot. And we'll go through all these details to help you do the best job for your portfolio. So if any questions, reach out. Love doing these types of consultations and analyses. They're very fun to do. You can email me, chris at envisionrea.com or go to the website and just fill out the investment consultation and we'll get back to you. Thanks a lot.